Good morning, everyone. My name is Kyle, and uh, I get the privilege of preaching once in a while. So uh, this morning, uh, I get an, another different voice. We've got a kind of a variety of, of voices preaching here recently. So um, I went through somewhat of an identity crisis uh, early in my 20s. And to get a picture of that, you got to start the, my senior year of high school. After my senior year, I, I received a vision of being in a Christian band and declaring the gospel and, and writing songs and traveling around. And then in my sophomore year of college, uh, God brought all the right people together. And I met some guys who loved the Lord and were incredible musicians. And so we started writing songs and we, we created a band and uh, things just went really quickly. Um, we recorded a couple CDs. We had some radio stations in the region that played some of our music. And uh, we ended up quitting our jobs and hitting the road a couple summers, which was an amazing experience. Uh, I loved it. I wouldn't trade it. Um, we got to declare the gospel and, and see a lot of fruit out of that. A few years into it, we were the age where we started getting married. And uh, one thing that's hard, <laughs> road life is hard when you're married. So it's not a good idea to get married and then go on the road for the summer and leave your spouse. That's not a good start to uh, a marriage. I don't recommend doing that. Uh, and then we also, went, there was like, so I think there was eight of us traveling that summer, including Sound Guy and everything. And the, the band could provide for that reasonably. But now you get like wives and families growing and it, it was going to be a, a, a big time difficulty to figure out how to support all these families on the band. So needless to say, we disbanded. And that was an intentional pun, by the way. Uh, the band disbanded, and I went back to a home improvement store, uh, kind of begrudgingly, like I didn't want to go there. Uh, it was a really hard season for me. Uh, turned down lots of uh, gig opportunities, uh, and kind of went through that, that crisis of, of who, who am I? You know, for three or four years, this, this was so much of what I did. And looking back at it, I can see now that I had started to find some of my identity in what I was doing. It's supposed to be, uh, instead of what I do defining me, it's what defines me, and then that what I do flows out of that. Or to say it another way, my perceived purpose doesn't define me. Rather, my purpose comes from my identity. And so I want to look at 1 Peter, uh, specifically chapter 2, and I want to dive in here. This passage has been really good for my own heart in knowing who I am in Christ, saved by grace through faith, and, and really grabbing hold of that identity and all these other things that fight for my identity. This passage has been really good to, to know that I'm not those things. This is who God says I am. He defines me. He defines my identity. So 1 Peter chapter 2, these are the, the verses we're really going to dive into today. Verses 9 and 10, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the Apostle Peter, he wrote this to believers who were scattered uh, they were not living in their homeland anymore. There weren't just a bunch of people that had the same values around them. They were scattered throughout. And we see that at the beginning of his letter. He says to the chosen, 
living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then First uh, Peter 1.17 and then 2.11. Several times he reminds them that, that they're strangers in this land and they've been dispersed. Uh, and I think that's helpful when we, when we think about this because a lot of times our identity is, is anchored in where we live, right? When we're part of a, a people group. How many of you have ever felt like a foreigner before or felt out of place? I have. So I love this place. I love our church. I think it's super healthy compared to many churches that I've been a part of, and I love being here. I hope I'm here for a really long time. But when we moved here from Nebraska, I, I'd grown up there. I'd lived there a long time. Uh, and then, well, maybe not that long. I'm still kind of young. I lived there a long time, what felt like a long time, and we moved here, and it took a little while to feel like, okay, this is our people. It's our place. We felt that kind of being displaced, not where we were supposed to be. So then you wrestle with identity a little bit. Am I, am I a Kansan? Or am I still in Nebraska? I feel, still feel like I'm in Nebraska. I don't know. So it, it's helpful to think of identity and that these people were dispersed. Uh, so here in chapter 2 of Peter, Peter is reminding them who they are in Christ, that they belong. And the first word of this text is actually but, which means there's a comparison. So we've got to back up just a tiny bit to the scripture before this to see the comparison that Peter is making. And he's going to quote some Old Testament scripture. And he says, quoting the Old Testament, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a, stum a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. So Peter's quoting from Psalm 118, he's quoting from Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 28, and he's declaring that Jesus is this cornerstone, that many are going to stumble at the thought of Jesus. They're going to stumble at the thought that, that God put on flesh and came down to this earth. And to many, Jesus is, is nonsense or maybe just a good teacher, and they don't know him personally as Lord and Savior. But to probably most of us in here, we know him as, as God in the flesh, right? It came down to, to live a perfect sinless life and go to the cross and die for us. And Peter is writing to believers. He made a comparison for those who don't believe, but now to those who do believe, who those who are in Christ. Uh, he's writing to those who have experienced the incredible grace of the Lord, the, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And for us who believe, God defines our identity. Point one here, God defines our identity for us who believe. Now, technically, God defines everybody's identity because God is creator of all, so he has the right to, to speak our identity, right? But those of us who are in Christ, he has specific truths about who we are and how he has defined us. And Peter's going to go into four descriptions of who we are in Christ. Now, before we dive into these four descriptions, I, I want to share something that wasn't immediately apparent to me. You see, I'm, a, I'm an American, which means I have been rigorously taught that I'm an individual, and uh, I don't think communally. I don't think of us as, as a whole people. It's not natural for me to think that way. I've been trained, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that I am an individual, and I need to find my individual identity. Well, you need to know these four descriptions, they're all plural descriptions. Every single one of these descriptions that Peter used is meant to be speaking over a people as a whole. 
That's the way they would have heard it. That's the way the language is. It, you'll notice that it's for a whole people, not just individuals. And we can find this, we can find some of our identity as an individual. But as we go through these, I want you to hear and be thinking, this is who we are in Christ together. Okay, so the first description, Peter says that we are a chosen race. God defines our identity and we are a chosen race. So chosen, this speaks to the idea that we have not earned our salvation. God chose us. We didn't choose him. Left to my own, I would never have chosen God. By his grace, and we said it earlier, we say it often here, 1 John 4, 19, that we love because he first loved us. He, he chose us. Um, and I don't really want to get into, I'm not sure if Jack's still in here, I don't necessarily want to get into a whole predestination sermon. That doesn't sound like fun. I'll let Jack take care of that. But, but we are chosen we are chosen. The Bible is clear about that. And it's not by our own good works. It's not by our own merit. God chose us. We are a chosen race. I think a way to help think about this. So here at Grace, we have several families that have, have done adoption. Um, and I think it was within the last year or two that I had a conversation with one of the families and, and the moms. Um, they have biological children, but they also have an adopted son. And uh, I don't claim to know, I'm not adopted, but I, I know that the statistics say that adopted children can sometimes really struggle with identity, feeling like they belong, feeling who is, who is my family. Uh, and this mom, uh, she shared with me when the, the son started asking those questions, it was, a, it was a really easy answer. You see, we have biological children, uh, we didn't get to choose them, God stuck us with them, right? <laughs> but with adoption, you got to see, okay, here's, here's these kids that we could adopt, we chose you. We said that you are the one that we wanted to be a part of our family. And that's really this idea of chosen. That's how, that's how God is. Uh, Ephesians 1.5 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself. God chose us. So we're a chosen race. Also, we're a chosen race. I want to accent that word for a moment. We are one race. I know that feels weird for a moment because in our current culture, we're diverse. But God has taken Jew and Gentile, all sorts of different people, and brought them together in faith in Jesus to make one race, one new people. All of us are a part of the body of Christ. And one day, from every tongue, tribe, and nation, there will be the praises of Jesus, right? So we are one race. Uh, and maybe a helpful way to think about this idea of being a chosen race, who we are, um, all the way across on the other side of the earth, you've got somebody that doesn't look like me and doesn't talk like me, but they are in Christ. They have faith in Jesus Christ. I have a stronger connection because of the Holy Spirit, because I'm a child of God and they are too. I have a stronger connection with them, even though they don't look like me or talk like me, than I do somebody in my own neighborhood that isn't in Christ. Right? Because heaven's going to be diverse and people from, from all around. We're one new, one new people. One new race. We are a chosen race. The next description uh, that Peter uses is royal priesthood. Oh, I forgot to make you do this. So do this for a second. Turn to somebody near you and say, we are a chosen race. All right. Now I'm already on point two, so you've got to do this again. Turn to somebody and say, we are a royal priesthood. Now I did that because, again, this is supposed to be a corporate identity in Christ. So we are a royal priesthood. We are royalty. No matter where you come from, whether you're like 
up here on the social economic class or way down here, whether you're influential or not, whether you feel like you're important or not, uh, we are a royal priesthood. We are, we are royalty, uh, which maybe sounds a little bit weird, but we're royalty. So think of it this way. If I wanted to have a day with the President of the United States, would he clear his calendar for me? No, right? You could say that pretty triumphantly. There's no way he would clear his calendar to spend a day with me. Now, if I am the President's son, is he going to make time to spend time with me? Yeah, I, I would think so. I don't know that how badly I want to spend time with the President. But the point is that uh, I have access to the King of Kings. You don't get any more royal than that. The King of Kings is the Lord of Lords, and I have access to him because I'm royalty. I'm part of his family. He has adopted us into that family. Uh, my daughter, I think she might be in Sunday school. She's not back there. But one of my daughters has a, has a T-shirt. It says, I'm a princess. My father is the King of Kings. I, I like that shirt. Uh, and, of course, it's not talking about me, the father, the King of Kings. Um, and while I'm not huge on princess culture, because I think it can be very selfish, it's all about me, but there's some truth in this, that if you're a child of God, you know, you're a daughter of God, a son of God, then, then you're in him, and you have that, that royalty sense about you that you have access to the King of Kings. And we are a royal priesthood. I want to think about that term priesthood for a moment. So in the Old Testament, you've got, you have to be like descended from Levi to be a priest. And then in the New Testament, you've got the priesthood of all believers. The Reformation did a, a really good job at reclaiming this idea that anyone who is in Christ is a priest. Now, the Old Testament, they had their sacrifices to offer. They offered animal sacrifices, grain sacrifices, many different sacrifices. And as New Testament church priests, we have sacrifices to offer. I think, in fact, Andrew might have quoted Romans 12.1 last week. I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So as priests, we have worship to offer. We have sacrifices to offer. That's everyone. That's not just meant for people in vocational ministry, which I hope you've heard that because we stress that a lot here. In fact, uh, it's possible I've shared this story before, but I grew up in a church where we had the minister. Did anybody grow up in a church? You had the minister? We had the minister. And I don't think that was helpful for me to think that way because it, then it made it feel like, well, he's the minister. He does the ministry. And that's not the terminology we use around here. But I think maybe subconsciously I started to feel that, oh, he's the minister. He does the ministry. But uh, we are a royal priesthood. All of us are meant to do ministry. We're meant to, to own the mission. So I bet you remember the mission. You can probably say it with me. Love God, love people, lead others to do the same. I got like four of you to say it with me. Let's all say it. Love God, love people, lead others to do the same, which is basically what we're saying is the great commandments and the great commission. And we want to own that mission, every single one of us. We say it this way, owning the mission, one of our core values. We are the church. You've heard us say that before, right? We are the church not just pastors of the church, we are the church. Each one of us has a unique responsibility to share the gospel in our circles of influence and beyond, no exception. Every single one of us has, has priestly duties in that sense. Okay, moving on. Uh, another description, God, how God defines us. Um, Peter says that we are a holy nation. So turn to your neighbor and say, we are a holy nation. That was really good. 
uh, we are holy. We are set apart. Positionally in Christ, his blood covers us, and we are holy before the Father. Now, we're working out holiness. God is, is working a sanctifying work in our lives so that our lives become holy, our actions become holy, but positionally, we are holy in Christ. We are set apart from the world, set apart to God. We're called to reflect that holiness to the world. Again, the language is not individual. Holy nation, that's not meant to be taken as just an individual holy nation. This is all of us. And Peter's actually quoting from Exodus 19. Uh, Pastor Jack shared that a little bit earlier, but we're going to go through it again. So Moses is on the mountaintop. He's talking to God, and God tells him, you need to say this over Israel, who's at, at the foot of the mountain. Here's what you need to say. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. You see this? He's, he's very directly calling this. And of course, this is, so this is Old Testament covenant. And now we have New Testament believers, the church. In fact, the New Testament covenant is described in the Old Testament several times. Isaiah 61, Jeremiah 32, Ezekiel 16. Uh, you see it really clearly in the New Testament, of course, but Hebrews chapter 8, if you want a, a good place that describes the, the covenants. Um, and this new covenant with the church, it's an unchanging one. It's based on God's work. It's based on his promise. Uh, we are a holy nation. And I'm going to say something that may step on some toes, but uh, there is one Christian nation, and it's the body of believers throughout the world. America is not the Christian nation. There's one Christian nation. Now, don't hear me out wrong. I love our nation. We have great freedoms. Veterans Day, like we're thinking of the people who have uh, laid down their lives for our freedom, and we were founded on, on Christian values, and many of the forefathers were, and I love that, but there is one Christian nation, and that's made up of all the believers around the whole world. Uh, and I, I think I'm sharing that because I have friends, some that are, are really, uh, well, I'm going to say vocal on social media about uh, our country, and it seems like I hear them say, pro-country, pro-country, more than pro-the kingdom. Like, it seems like their voice is much stronger with America. It's all about America. It, it's all about the kingdom. Uh, I am a citizen of America. I'm pretty sure I'm legally here and, and working. Uh, but, uh, like Philippians 3.20 reminds us, I'm a citizen of, of heaven. My citizenship is in heaven, and I'm eagerly awaiting my Savior from there. So maybe you need a little bit of an identity crisis. If you're thinking first and foremost who I am I'm, is that I'm American, uh, hopefully that's not the case. Our, our core identity is in Christ. You're a citizen of heaven if you've been forgiven. So uh, yeah, we are a holy nation. And then finally, Peter, he shares the fourth way that God defines our identity, and he says we are his possession. So turn to somebody next to you and say we are his possession. I'm glad that we are God's possession. We belong to him. He has given us life. He has given us new life in Christ. We are his possession because he prayed, He paid the ultimate price for us. He gave everything. He gave his life. He paid with his blood so that we could be his. God wanted a people to call his own. God wanted us to be a part of his family. God wanted us to see ourselves as, as his 
belonging to him. And I know it's probably a terrible analogy, but I couldn't help but think of Gollum, thinking, my precious. You know, like, he, it's, it's his, it's his precious ring. And maybe the obsession thing doesn't work very well in, in thinking about who God is because it was unhealthy, but we are precious to him. His people who have been saved by grace are very precious to him. His precious possession. Okay, so let's pause for a second. Let's ask some questions. Where is our identity? Where's your identity? I'm going to ask it as individuals as well. Where's our identity? Do we need to have an identity crisis to rethink what the core of our identity is? I think that we are having an identity crisis. I think America is definitely feeling that. I, I feel for the youth and the younger generations, it's, it's a hard season to, to be alive and, and thinking about our identity. We're pushed by, by social media, and you are how many likes you have, or you are how many followers you have. Uh, we're also pushed in, in things that we do, achievements. Like some of us are tempted to define ourselves by, my, by our athletic achievements. Or, or by our academic achievements, or even musical, which maybe touches a little more home for myself. That, but that, those things don't define us. They're not meant to define us at the core of who we are. Some of us may think really strongly at the core of who I am, I belong to a political party. That's who I am. Uh, for some of us, maybe it's like our, our team or our school. Do we have any Wildcats in here? Or, or Jayhawks in here? Or shockers in here. Ooh, that one was a little more quiet. <laughs> okay. Or or huskers. Any huskers in here? Yeah. So it's funny. I never went to UNO, but like I'm thinking of myself as a husker. And even though our football team hasn't had a winning season, I don't know how long. It's it's been too long. But Nebraska is number one in the nation. It's true. Our volleyball team is number one in the nation. And there's a lot of, lot of reason to be pride. So I have this connection, and I haven't even lived there for 10 years. I'm thinking, I'm a Husker. Now, that, that doesn't define me. But I wonder if some of us, way too close to the core of who we are, we're thinking, well, then my school I identify with. Uh, for me, the, the, the song Enough is, is really helpful, and we sang that this morning. Uh, obviously, you can, you can sense the themes of the songs we sang, but... Uh, we, I think we introduced that to youth group maybe four years ago or so. Uh, it's a declaration of, of who we are in Christ and that the things we do don't define us. Uh, we sang, I am not what I make, I am who you've made me to be. And I'm not what I've done, I'm loved unconditionally. Like that's, tr that's a truth that I need because I actually still have that temptation to define myself by what I do. Yeah. Um, You'd think after going through what I went through, so let me explain. Uh, so start a band, get somewhat popular, at least regionally, and like, oh, this is great, and then the band falls apart. A little bit of an identity crisis. Man, how much of my identity was I putting in that? And then uh, eventually I get my dream job as a, a worship pastor in Nebraska, and we go through a church split, and that was not fun. <laughs> Not something I recommend doing. Please don't go through a church split. Uh, I think you're in good hands here. I love our church. We're very healthy. Um, and then going through that, oh man, I, I was really feeling like some of my identity was tied to what I was doing being, being a pastor. Uh, you'd think after like going through those things that I wouldn't be tempted, but I'm still tempted. And sometimes I'm still putting my identity in, in the work that I do, which isn't healthy. So before moving here to Kansas, I wrote something 
basically from my own heart, of the, the truth that I knew God was speaking over me and the truth that needed to stay in its, in its proper order. So I wrote this. Maybe you can uh, identify with this. First and foremost, I am a child of God saved by grace through faith. This is, this is first and foremost. Uh, similar to our values, we have the upholding biblical integrity value. If we get that wrong, who cares about the other values? First and foremost, I am a, a Christian saved by grace through faith. And then number two and three and four are way down here. You see that? This is who I am. And then number two, three, and four fall way down here. So number two, I'm a husband. And I love my wife. We've been married 20 years. She's uh, probably on her way back from the women's retreat right now. Um, but I'm committed to her. And then uh, third, I am a father. Now this was intentional uh, because sometimes we're tempted to really put everything into our kids instead of our, our marriage. And I've told our kids many times, uh, I'm going to continue to live with your mom as long as we both live. We are committed to one another and we love each other. And you kids, uh, 18, see it. Now, you know, maybe it's a little, maybe you could stay a little bit longer than that, but eventually I'm hoping you're not living in our home when you're 30 and that, you know, you have your own families and uh, that. So, yeah, so I, I, I wrote that. And then, of course, fourth, uh, I am a pastor. And uh, if God took that away, I'd be okay. It'd be hard again. I don't think necessarily because I feel like I'm putting my identity in that now, but although maybe there are times where I'm very tempted and, and, it, and it feels fuzzy, but uh, man, because my core identity is in Christ, all those other identities, you, you'll notice there's p many things I could have put on there that didn't even make the list of who I am. And so maybe for you, it's a, I'm a teacher. Maybe that's somewhere on your list. Uh, I just encourage you to know how God defines you and don't let the world uh, define you with the things that it pushes your way. Okay, so it's, it's a great joy and comfort. It's an anchor for my soul to know who I am in Christ because out of that identity, I find my purpose. Identity defines our purpose. Our identity defines our purpose. We are chosen, royal, holy, a people, we are his, so that. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I stopped right there on purpose. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that. You see how significant that is. Here's who you are, so that now you've got purpose. Don't get that backwards. I've gotten that backwards a few times. I'm doing this and I'm doing this, so this is who I am. That's not what it is. You are this and this and this in Christ so that now you have purpose. We're going to spend very little time on this point. I just wanted to highlight it so you can see, not make some of the mistakes that I did, and maybe some of you are making now. Your identity is not in what you do. Okay, so we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that we may proclaim his praises. Our purpose is to proclaim his praises, or to tell others what he's done, or to share his salvation. Uh, this same wording is used in the Septuagint, the Old, the Old Testament Greek um, edition, basically, in the Psalms many times. So this idea of proclaiming his praises, same words that you'll see in the Psalms many times. Psalm 9, 13 and 14, I don't think I got all these up on the, on the screen, so I apologize. Psalm 9, 13 and 14, be gracious to me, Lord. Consider my affliction at the hands of those who hate me. Lift me up from the gates of death so that I may declare 
all your praises. Or Psalm 71, 15. My mouth will tell about your righteousness and your salvation all day long. Our purpose is to proclaim his praises. And I love that Peter wastes no time in saying, what are his praises? He's, the praises are the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's called us from darkness to light. Basically, we're going to get three descriptions of the gospel. The first one being darkness to light, and we need to proclaim that. I love singing uh, Into Marvelous Light with you. Many of you might not remember it because we haven't sung it in a long time, and we rarely do, but obviously it comes straight out of this passage. That, Into marvelous light I'm running, out of darkness, out of shame. By the cross you are the truth, you are the life, you are the way. So I, I love being able to proclaim that together. He brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. Reminds me of a, a, a verse in, in Colossians, and Andrew may have even quoted this one last week too, but he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, I was in spiritual darkness. I was without a Savior. I was without forgiveness. I was dead in my sin, but God saved me. Ephesians 5.8 says it this way, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is the praise we proclaim. He called us from darkness to light. Moving on to the next kind of analogy that he gives here. Uh, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We went from unclaimed to his. We were unclaimed. We didn't, we didn't have a people. We didn't have belonging. And now we are his. How many of you can remember, uh, go back to like PE. Um, so you got two teams. Okay, we're going to play dodgeball or something. And we got two captains. You're going to start, get in the line. We're going to start picking people. And uh, so when I was in elementary, I was actually really athletic, but then everybody else grew and I didn't in high school. So I was like one of the last ones to be picked. So you can picture the line there of like, am I going to be last to pick again? Like nobody wants me. Nobody's going to claim me as part of their team. Or like when I'm the last one, they're like, oh, sure, we'll, we'll take Kyle, I guess, since he's all that's left. Does anybody feel that? Like don't let those, don't let those experiences define you. Not fun. I don't want to relive that. But uh, this is not God. This is not who he is. He isn't like, oh, well, they're the last one there. I guess I'll, I'll, guess I'll claim that person. God is very intentional. And, and God is good. He claims us as his own. He wants us to be part of that team, part of that family. He isn't just leftovers. So scholars agree that Peter's quoting from the Old Testament here. Most scholars agree this. Uh, he's quoting from Hosea. So some of you uh, probably remember Hosea. He's an Old Testament prophet, and he was told to go marry a prostitute, and she was going to be unfaithful, and she was going to leave, uh, but he was supposed to go after her and continue to love her. This was a picture uh, of God's love to unfaithful Israel, and that they were going to continue to um, just to, to shame him, you know, in that way. Um, so Hosea and Gomer, they have children, and God tells them the names. They're supposed to name their children. This is, this is interesting. Uh, and I don't remember if it was first child or what, but one of their children, God says, you're to name that child Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Like literally the name of the child was supposed to be not my people. How'd you like that for a name? Not my people. <laughs> Sounds rough. 
God, really the illustration? That person's life, that's hard. But, uh, or, and he says, for Israel is not my people and I will not be their God. God does prophesy that uh, to Hosea that later, uh, who once was not their people, will be their people and I will be their God. So there's promise in that, but he does name them that. Uh, and the, the readers of this letter are hearing that. And then, uh, once you were not a people, we had no significance or purpose. We didn't belong, but now we're God's people. And earlier in this letter, Peter said, uh, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not by perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We are his people. Uh, we are redeemed people that God purchased so that we can proclaim his praises. Uh, went from not being a people to claimed, unclaimed to his. This is the praise we proclaim. And then finally, he gives, he gives this uh, kind of analogy. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I'm going to say we went from wrath to mercy. I know wrath is not a word that's in there, but if you have not received mercy from God, you're still under God's wrath. That's the way his just anger against sin works. If you haven't been forgiven in Christ, there is still a just wrath that God has uh, upon us. So we went from wrath to mercy. We were under the wrath of God because of our sin. But God had compassion on us. God had mercy on us that we could be forgiven. Again, Peter's actually pointing to Hosea. So believe it or not, uh, Hosea and Gomer have another child, uh, Lo Ruhama, which means no mercy or not received mercy. So this child was called No Mercy. A little different from the like grace or joy or hope the names that we give these days, I think. But God used it as an example. <laughs> uh, and he did give a promise also with just this child. I will sow her in the land for myself and I will have mercy on Lo Ruhama. Or I will have mercy on No Mercy. There will come a point where I will, will do that. Uh, so he will have mercy. John 3.36 says this, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So again, if you have not received mercy, you're under God's wrath. And uh, let me tell you, when judgment comes, you don't want to be under God's wrath. Because he is just. And he will separate us for eternity from him. If you don't know that mercy, I invite you in repentance and faith to turn towards Jesus and trust him. Believe that he died on the cross for you, that he rose again victorious, and you can receive mercy. None of us want to face judgment without mercy. Because God is a good and just judge. We have received mercy. From wrath to mercy. I love that. Uh, so let's, let's end by asking some questions. Do you know who you are? Do we know who we are? Where's your identity? Do we need to have an identity crisis because some of our identity is being put into things that it's not meant to be put in? God said, don't, don't think your identity is this. Maybe some of us need to rethink how we're finding our identity. So if I were to ask you, describe yourself, What's the first word that, that comes to mind? Christian, I love that. that. That's the core of what we should be believing. But I know the enemy attacks. I know that the enemy will take uh, the bad things, your failures, 
And so then you're, and maybe somebody said this immediately, failure. Maybe somebody said widow. Maybe somebody said alcoholic or addict. Uh, in Christ, that's not how God defines us. And the enemy wants to use that and say, this is who you are because this is what you're struggling with. These are your failures. And then on the flip side, kind of like your, uh, um, what's the, uh, I can't remember, so I won't try to quote it. Never mind. Um, the enemy will also take good things and he will also say, see, this is who you are. You're, you're valedictorian, you're smart. Uh, you're, you're like the star athlete. If, if they weren't there, then they wouldn't, if you weren't there, they wouldn't win the game. Or look, you're, you're making all state in music. So he'll also try to fight us that way, right? One way or another, it'll be, he'll try to get you to define by your failures or your achievements, but that's not what God wants. God wants our identity as his child. So let's not believe the lies. Let's not buy into all the things that, that the culture is telling us that we need to define ourselves by. Christian, I love, thank you for speaking up, saying Christian. Uh, we are chosen, royal, holy, and we are his. One more time, we are royal, we are chosen, we are holy, we are his. That's who we are, that's how God defines us. And then let's ask this question again. Uh, do you know your purpose? Are you trying to work towards your identity or is your identity what serves your purpose or defines your purpose? Don't get that out of order. It's, it's exhausting. It's not healthy to think that what I do defines me. God defines you. From that, he gives you purpose. So I want to invite the worship team back up. Uh, we're going to sing one more song. We have purpose to proclaim his praises from the one who called us from, from darkness to light, from uh, unclaimed to his, from wrath to mercy. We're going to proclaim those things to the people around us. That's what God wants of us. Uh, we are his plan to reach the lost. Um, that's what he wants. And, and you've heard us say, we are the church. Let's go be the church. We are a sent people. We want to live that way. That purpose flows of, out of our identity. So we're going to sing one more song, and then we will be sent out. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your incredible mercy on our lives. Undeserved grace that you would call us your own. I know there's no merit in us. There's no goodness in us that gave us that identity. But you chose us. You had mercy on us. You loved us. You wanted a people for your own possession. And you have it. The church, one nation, one, one race, one body of Christ from all over the world. And you've called us to purpose. Out of that identity, you've given us a purpose to declare your praises, to make disciples in all nations. I pray we would be a people that are faithful to that. And I pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would search us and know if there's places where we're not finding our identity where it's supposed to be. So thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I pray you would send us out in your power. In Jesus' name, amen.